So John chapter 14, uh, we're going to look at verses 15 through 26 uh, first. And so hang with me as we uh, read quite a bit here. It says this, and this is in red. That's Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, that was a lot. But once again, the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, the ones that that have been with him and followed him uh, for these uh, few years and developed this incredible relationship with him, they're wrestling with the reality that he's leaving them. They're wrestling with what he shared, that he's going to die. They're wrestling with the the fact that he said, uh, you're going to deny me to one of them, and then another one of you is going to betray me. And so their hearts are literally troubled. They're stirred up. They are full of anxiety. Everything they thought they knew was wrong. So they're confused and they don't know where to go from and they don't know what their mindset needs to be. All they know is we're feeling abandoned right now. We don't know what we're gonna do. And so Jesus, as we looked at last week, he steps in into their anxiety, into their fear, uh, into their anger, into their confusion, and he delivers these promises. He delivers these promises to hopefully pull them out of that mindset. Now, the the promises, once again, that he shares with these uh, disciples, they're not just for them. They are for us today. As Jesus followers, if you're a Jesus follower, these are for you to take hold of today because when I look at what they're wrestling through, when I look at the anxiety, the fear, the unknown, the anger, uh, the troubled spirit that was within them, I go, where are we at today? What do we need to hear? Well, we need to hear these words. And Jesus says this. He tells his disciples that Keeping his commands will be proof of their love for him. That's what he says. And then he reiterates it multiple times. He tells his disciples that keeping his commands will be proof of their love 
for him. And, and, and this is not just a new thing that he's bringing up here. He's emphasized this all throughout uh, his life. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 48, 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? That doesn't make sense. In, in uh, 1 John, the same writer of the Gospel of John, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, uh, it says, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Okay, so uh, when, when I think about this, some of you are really thrifty and you are incredibly gifted at finding deals and treasures in garage sales, estate sales, thrift stores, and, and to the degree where like it's Saturday, Saturday's coming, and you have it all scheduled out. You know the routes, you know the map, you know where what is supposed to be at, you know that there could be this at that location, and so you, you're, you're like prepared. You are ready. The alarm is set. Now, maybe that's you, or maybe you're like, are you listening? Maybe it's your spouse or somebody you know. I have had the privilege to go with different people who are like that. It's amazing. It's amazing how they, when I say they, I am not like that. Um, I, am, I shop off of convenience, Right? So I'm the one that drives by and goes, man, that looks cool. And I park. Other than that, I don't know what's going on. So, but when you go with someone that's really good at that, it's, it's incredible to watch them work, isn't it? They're just like, let's go. And you're like, that was great. Awesome. Um, right? They, they know exactly what they're looking for. And they can sort through so quickly what they don't want. Guys, we treat God's commands like that. We are so great at sorting through it and picking out and identifying what we want, what we want to do, what we want to obey, and then the other stuff, we're like, no, no, nope. That's for them. That's for somebody else. That's for their issue. Uh, I just don't even want to deal with that. So, nope. But this, I got it. That one, that makes sense. Oh, this one I'm already doing. And so we pick and choose these commands that we're, we're saying we're willing to obey this for you, God. Um, but, what, 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 and, and, but what we're actually doing is we're finding the ones that, that we don't want to deal with and we're leaving them uh, there and we're just holding on to the ones that are easiest and we highlight those, right? Like, God, I don't kill. I haven't killed anybody. So honored to be in the house of the Lord today. You know, like, God, I'm crushing it. I mean, I felt anger yesterday, but I didn't kill him, you know? And, and, and we like, there's like low hanging fruit that we're like, man, God, look at my obedience. I haven't murdered anybody. Like, wow. But you guys, love for Jesus means obeying all commands, 
even the most difficult ones, even the ones that we don't like, even the ones that are inconvenient, even the ones that we question a lot. See, once again, we like to highlight the easy ones. We like to highlight the ones we want to do, uh, the ones that make us look good. But genuine love for him is going to be revealed when we obey the challenging commands. That's when the world sees that our love for Jesus is genuine. And here is the other key piece of this, okay? We don't talk about this nearly enough. A love for Jesus must be our motivation to obey his commands. Did you hear that? A love for Jesus must be our motivation to obey his commands. You guys, obedience without love is nothing more than the pursuit of self-righteousness. If we look at Jesus's words and, 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 and we think when we hear that, we go, okay, great. Well, I can make you happy. I can make you love me more if I do this and I, and I don't do that because you're gonna be disappointed with me. You'll be angry if I, if I do that and I don't wanna mess that up. Uh, so so I, I want you to be uh, happy with me. So I'm gonna do this. Guys, that's not obeying out of love for him. That's trying to earn his favor. If you want to obey Jesus, you don't try harder to obey. Okay, if you want to obey him, you don't try harder to obey. Guys, the answer for disobedience isn't obedience. It's love. It's love. Guys, if you struggle to obey Jesus, there's a love issue. There's a love issue. If, 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 if I'm not making time for my marriage. Guys, it's not a time issue. It's a love issue. That's the reality of it. Because I'll tell you what, what you love, what you desire, what consumes your mind and your heart, guess what you do? You absolutely move everything out of the way for. That's what you do. And so when we look at this, the tendency is to make it about these specific things and, and, and our shortcomings to go, well, if I just try harder to obey, then I can do it. And what Jesus is talking about here is, no, 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 you can't. And, and, and your disobedience isn't going to be fixed by your obedience. It's going to be fixed by your love for me. You know, um, I, I, I remember right after I got married. And right after I got married, uh, I was the worst employee at this church probably ever. Uh, because, uh, not because marriage is bad, but because as I was working, all I was thinking about was my wife. That's it. Every sermon I was prepping for, I was just like, Lindsay. Now, Lindsay's my wife, but <laughs> got bigger problems if... <laughs> Every time someone would be pouring out their soul to me, and I'm thinking, Lindsay, Lindsay, oh yeah, let me pray for you, Lindsay. That's it. It dominated my thought. It dominated my life. And, and you know what? I had priorities in my life. I love to work out and all of that. Well, guess what? After I got married, I got fat. You know why? Because working out 
It had accomplished its mission. No, I'm kidding. Working. <laughs> That's awful. You need to work out. But it no longer was something that was a priority because something in my life superseded it. Something in my life, it actually superseded everything else in my life to where everything I would do, I was thinking about her. And if I wasn't with her, I was thinking about how and when I can see her. And now I look at where I'm at in my life and we're like, man, when can we find a night to do a date night? When can we do that? How do we make that happen? So what, what, what happened, you guys? What happened? Well, you're busy, and you've got, you know, three kids now, and, and that. No, no. There's a love issue there, right? We can use time all we want. Well, I'm busy, or this season, or that. But guys, it, it, it always comes back to love. It just really does. And when it comes to our uh, relationship, our obedience to God in these commands, it, don't make it about all the commands. Make it about love because ultimately, if you do love him, a byproduct out of that love of putting him above everything else is you will obey. Your obedience will follow it. Why do I know that? Because I've seen that in literally every other relationship in my life. The people that I love, the, the people that, 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 man, are really close to me, uh, my, my, my friendships that, man, I would do anything for them. Where does that come from? Well, man, I, I have such a deep relationship with them. I'm actually honored when they call me and they're struggling. I'm honored to be able to help them in their time of need. I'm honored to pray for them. Uh, why am I going, well, I better obey God's command to love my neighbor as myself. Uh, like, no, I love them. I genuinely love them. And so out of that love, all these other things will flow. And so you guys, when we read these commands, the typical thing is to focus on the commands, is to focus on the obedience, the disobedience. And what you need to come back to is if there is a disconnect in obedience to God, there is a love disconnect. And so we have to address that. The only convincing evidence that we do love Jesus is the way we live. Now, although he'd no longer be visibly present with his disciples, he says, you're not going to be left alone. Why? Because he promised, he said, I'm going to ask my father to send you another helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, I talked about the Holy Spirit two weeks ago, I believe, and in two weeks, I'm going to talk about him again, so I don't want to over-exhaust uh, what I'm going to say, uh, but when we look at this term helper, you can't really summarize it with one word. It literally means one called alongside to help. And it has the, the connotation of a helper, a comforter, an exhorter, a, a counselor, an intercessor, encourager, and we see often uh, the term an advocate, which literally when it's talking about that, is like a defense attorney. And, and, and so when you look at the characteristics of the helper as he defines it, this isn't just like this, like, oh, let me fall into the counselor. No, this, this is your advocate. This is the one that helps you. He immobilizes you. And so he carries you along. He helps pick you back up. And, and, and so when we see the term another helper, another is referring specifically to another of the same kind. 
Now, I touched on that, like I said, a couple weeks ago. But Jesus' promise was that he was going to send another helper exactly like himself. Just like himself. Just like Jesus, the Holy Spirit would teach, would strengthen, would empower, would intercede for the disciples. And though Jesus was leaving, he promised that the Holy Spirit would be with them forever. Now, now we see Jesus called the Holy Spirit, what? The Spirit of truth. To emphasize that the work of the Spirit is to reveal God's truth. So whatever the Holy Spirit does, whatever he leads us in, uh, when he's speaking to us, it's always going to be truth. And so we see that the Holy Spirit was going to reveal truth to uh, the apostles and um, was going to continue to reveal that. And we also read that the world was not going to be able to receive it because it did not see him or know him. Now, when he's talking, when he's talking about the world, he's talking about those people that are going to deny him, right? Those people that are living by uh, the flesh because this is a spiritual truth. And when you're choosing to live in the flesh, you're not seen or operating in the spiritual. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But he says, though the world may not recognize the Spirit, the disciples would know him because Jesus told them, he abides with you and I will be in you. See, before Pentecost, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit uh, came and occupied all these uh, guys, and we, and we read about that in the book of Acts, before he would indwell people, um, we read about his activity. And what uh, we see is that he would come upon people. He would um, draw alongside uh, them. Um, and, 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 and what we see, the difference is, after Pentecost is when a person believes in Jesus, the Holy Spirit now takes residence in a person's life forever. This is true for all believers. And although he may be grieved, quenched, or hindered, we read, he can never be taken away. And so the Spirit's work has been alive. It's been active all throughout history to where anybody that was saved, the sanctification process, anybody empowered or just guided in their understanding of Scripture or even how to pray, that was a work of the Spirit. And Jesus, Jesus continues with this promise when he says that I'm not going to leave you as orphans. See, he knew they were going to have this feeling of abandonment. He knew it because they're going to feel abandoned. In fact, they were already feeling it. And he's like, listen, uh, this is going to be temporary, okay? After his resurrection, he was going to see him again, okay? In fact, he appeared to them over and over again right after his resurrection, but he also uh, would, would be with them again because of his union. When we think of the Godhead, when we think of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and because of that union, that unity, um, he... Uh, would abide in them through the Spirit who would be poured into their lives. 
And so soon, Jesus would, uh, would, would be dead and the unbelieving world would no longer see him um, and, the, and they, wouldn't see him phys- they wouldn't see him physically after the resurrection or have the capacity uh, to know him or, or, or experience his presence through the indwelling Holy Spirit. But Jesus promised his disciples, you will see me because I will live in you also. I will live in you. And as witnesses to the resurrected Savior, the disciples would receive visible proof that they too would one day be raised. It says, you're gonna see me. You're gonna know. You're gonna see the victory that I have over sin, over death, over all of this. You're gonna see that and you're gonna know and you're gonna be able to have confidence that you're gonna be raised up too. That this life doesn't have to define you. Now remember, you guys, they're feeling abandoned. They're feeling alone. They're confused. And Jesus is just dropping this into them, these promises that he is declaring uh, to them. He's saying, listen, because I live, you will live also. He said, you will know that I am in my Father, even though we struggle and we can't fully grasp this side of eternity. We can't fully grasp the Trinity. We still can be able to come to the understanding of the truth of it. And then Jesus said, not only would the disciples know that he is in the Father, but you will understand that you are in me and I in you. Through the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are in Christ. And you will see that narrative in Christ. You will see that described. We're going to look at that next week. You will, you will see that nature. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 1, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But not only are we in Christ Jesus, but he also uh, abides in us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So Jesus is reassuring them that his death wasn't going to end their relationship with him. Now, in verses 21 through 24, he once again reiterates this obedience, right? Only those who obey his commands enter into union with him. And and I think what's so important about this, as he continues to reiterate the obedience, that's a reflection of our love, our natural tendency is to take obedience and then make it the focal point, right? And say, well, I have a relationship with him because I'm obeying him. Uh, You guys, obedience is not the cause of salvation. I want to be really clear as you continue to read it and you see him reaffirm that. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it's clear. It says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So the obedience that he's talking about is the result of that relationship. It's the result of that love, as we talked about. And he says, those who love Jesus will be loved by the Father. Right? You can't separate those two. When you're talking about receiving Jesus, you're receiving the Father. 
okay? And, and, and when you're receiving the Father, you're receiving uh, the Son. And, and as Jesus is, is saying that those who love him, he's gonna disclose himself uh, to Judas uh, speaks up. Now, when you see Judas, you don't immediately go, oh, Judas, you go, Judas. So I'm really thankful, and Judas up in heaven is probably thankful, that, that there's some parentheses there. And he says, by the way, this is not that Judas, right? I'm sure Judas was like, hey, thank you, God. I appreciate that. You know, for all of eternity, people are going to know I wasn't him. Uh, and his question's valid because he's thinking in this moment, Jesus, why, if this is a, if this is a save the world type thing, why are you saying you will only manifest yourself to us? Why wouldn't it just be the world? Like, why wouldn't you do this in front of everybody? Why are you just singling us out? He couldn't understand that. But Jesus' reply, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. This explained that he will not reveal himself to those who refuse to love and obey him. That's what he's talking about. And once again, we see this love and obedience linked together. And he says, listen, if, you, if you're gonna love me, you're gonna love the Father. The Father's gonna love you and we're gonna make our home in you. To reject me is to reject the Father. To have Jesus, to have the Father. And then in verses 25 uh, and 26, let me just read these. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus has been that source of truth for his disciples. They've looked to him. They've responded to him. And he's not going to leave them without uh, a source of truth. He was going to send the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, to guide, to teach him. And, and, and so when we look at the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit is our truth teacher as believers. He's the one who delivers that truth to us. He's the one who illuminates God's word to us to give us the understanding. He gives us the knowledge of God that grows us into spiritual maturity. But I love also Jesus's promise that what? He's going to bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Guys, that's so awesome because what, what this speaks to is not just the daily walk, but we also know from scripture that, that these, these uh, apostles were gonna be divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit to actually write out the gospels, to write out a lot of the New Testament. And, 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 and what, how does that apply to us today? Well, how often do we say, well, I can't remember. I, I, I don't have the words. What if that person asks me this if I invite them to church, if I talk about the hope that lies within me, if I talk about Jesus, what if, what if, what if, what if? You guys, the Holy Spirit, the mouthpiece of God, the empowering work of God is activated in your life if you're a Jesus follower. And so he's more than capable of putting together the words that need to come out of your mouth. He's got you. And so if you're obedient, whatever you need to remember, it's going to be there. Whatever question they may ask, he may bring an answer. And as it's coming out of your mouth, you may be even confused yourself. Like, how is that coming out of my mouth? I didn't know that. 
Siri, record what I just said. <laughs> right? But that's what he does. And then verse 27, and this is, this is huge. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, I should have just preached the whole sermon on this. You're going to agree with me later, but I want to read this one more time. I want you to think about where we're at, what you're working through, what's going on in your own personal life, and I want you to hear this. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace flows from a right relationship with God. True biblical peace, biblical peace, does not depend on the circumstances of life. It doesn't depend on your circumstances, your relationships, your job, the government. It doesn't rely on any of those external circumstances. Uh, it doesn't rely on them as its source for your peace. Uh, no, it, it, this, the peace that he's talking about here, the peace of the Spirit, the peace of Jesus, it rises above the circumstances. It was this type of peace that characterized the Apostle Paul, who wrote in, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, when he said this. He said, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I've learned. I found the secret. You guys, Paul remained at peace during the worst of circumstances. Circumstances that would absolutely put our circumstances to shame. Right? In prison, not at the Beverly Hills prison, but prison. We're talking, I should do a whole teaching on what those prisons were like. Imprisoned. Attacked multiple times, left for dead, like stoned. Caught in, 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 in crazy storms, in a boat, not a cruise. And, and the ship is wrecked, multiple times shipwrecked, multiple times left for dead. And, 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 and on top of it all, on top of it all, he's got this thorn to his side that nobody knows what it is. And it, and, and, and it is there. And this guy, with the gift of healing, can't shake it. He's literally like, I can heal other people. Right? And, and, and so he's gone through all of these things that you and I can't imagine, and yet he says, I'm at peace. See, when, when, when you talk about peace to other people, when you talk about peace in our culture, to most people, and when I say culture, let's just focus on our country, America. 
Peace to most people means the absence of war. It means the absence of like struggles. It, it, it means you don't have disagreements in your life. There's, there's not hostility in your uh, life, right? Like that, that's peace. If those things aren't there, I'm at peace. So, so what you hear is, is people uh, look at peace as, 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 as literally I can have it if, if there's been within me the, the deliverance of or the absence of internal conflict. If I don't have that, I'm at peace. Guys, true peace is much more than just the absence of conflict. There is only one source of true peace, as this verse reveals. Peace comes from our justification, our standing before a perfect and almighty God, and from our relationship with God. That's where peace comes from. Peace comes from the reality that regardless of what happens on this planet, I have been signed, sealed, and delivered through the work of Jesus on the cross so that I know that eternity awaits. So I have peace with my standing before God. I'm forgiven, but I also experience the peace of God as I walk in obedience to him. I experience that within my relationship with him. If there's no peace with God, there can be no peace in our lives. You just can't. Now you can say, well, Steve, I'm feeling really at peace right now. And I would say, yeah, right now. The world is built upon giving you moments of peace. In fact, when you reach the end of that peace, it says, well, you need to try this or you should have done it differently, right? And so we have these momentary um, uh, times where we experience peace, but, but you guys, you can't have peace outside of God. You can't. And here's what you also need to know. This isn't peace with God. This is the peace of God. Okay, in, in Philippians chapter four, six and seven, before he wrote the other words of learning to be uh, content, uh, Paul writes this. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Now, the Greek word translated guard is a military term, meaning to keep watch over. Okay, so the peace of God that he's talking about here, this peace of him, it's only from him. It protects you and I. If we're a Jesus follower, it protects us from the anxiety. It protects us from the doubt. It protects us from the fear, from the anger, from the distress. It guards our hearts and our minds from it. This is not uh, this peace that's just passive, uh, you know, that's only operated in the absence of conflict. No, this peace is active. It, it, it's far from being affected by any circumstance. It actually triumphs over the circumstances. That's the peace of God. This is the peace that Jesus right here promised to his followers. Did you see how he said it? He goes, 
This is my peace I give you. My peace. Guys, that's the same peace that allowed him to walk that horrific, treacherous road to the cross for you and for me. That's the peace. He says, that's my peace that I have, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm giving that to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. This, this is what the world needs to see, you guys. This is what the world needs, this is what the world needs to see in us. Like no other time. Like I can't remember another time when I look at all these characteristics of what they're feeling, the fear, the anxiousness, the unknowns, the doubt, uh, the questions, uh, the, the anger, all, all of that right now I am, I am seeing uh, and, 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 and what the world needs right now is to see the peace from God that surpasses all understanding and they're only gonna see it through Jesus followers who are walking in it. The problem is they're not. They're not. You're not. Your coworker needs to see the peace of God that you talk about. Your, your spouse, your friends, whoever you're in relationship with, your coworkers, uh, your, uh, your, your roommates, your kids, they need to see the peace of God. And guys, right now, when I look overall at what's happening, and let's just like, like I said, narrow it in to the American Christian culture, I go, man, I am not seeing it. And Satan is having a field day in this. Because what I see within us is the same kind of peace that the world's relying on. That's what I see. Right, I see, I see our same responses to what happens in culture. We have the same response, the same demeanor, uh, the same heart, the same mindset as people who want nothing to do with God. And, and, and like I said, I, we, we, we see it on multiple levels, on multiple playing fields. Uh, you know, I, like, like some of us, when, when you come into this space, you're angry. You're angry. I'm saying it with a smile to help you but you're mad, okay? You are mad. You are mad. Why? You're mad because of something or someone, a mandate of some kind, and there's quite a few of them, and, and, and you're mad. And what's so funny is some of you, every week you tell me, just to remind me, because I forgot apparently, just so you know I don't like this. But you know what? I see you in this room here and some of you, you're mad, but you know what you're doing with that anger? And this is what I want to challenge us on. You guys, the peace of God is not demonstrated when the circumstances go your way. It's demonstrated when the circumstances aren't in your favor. It's when people see that it supersedes culture working for you. And so some of you are literally going, yeah, and you're angry, but you're like, God, this is about you. And so I'm going, good job. I know that's not easy, you guys. I know that's not easy. And some people that, that are watching still, they need to see that example. They need to see it in you. And you see how you're like, man, yeah, I'm not sitting here going, woohoo. 
of doing it. It's the peace of God. You know, some of you, I mean, guys, like some of us, we were anxious before all this two years ago. Man, we were anxious. We had a lot of fears in all of this. And all that's happened has literally taken us to a place we didn't even know was, was possible. And we've been paralyzed by the anxiety, paralyzed by the fear and the unknowns. And it has just wrecked us. And, 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 and so we're just like, we're just like, ah, to everything. And, 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 and here's the reality. Culture's needing to see the peace of God right? And, and, and literally, I have seen some of you, and I've talked to some of you, and you through this have, have gone, you know what? I see what this is doing. I see what's happening, and I am determined to work through this and go to God with it, and guess what? Some of you are like, ah, I'm here. I'm here. That's amazing. God did that. But we have a decision, you guys. We have a decision. And I tell you what, man, I am reminded of this daily as, as things get, uh, as they bother me. I got kids watching me. And I, man, it, oh, it's so important that I teach them about the peace that only Jesus can bring into your life. Because I know life's gonna be rough on them. I don't know what's gonna happen to them. I don't know what the circumstances are that they're gonna face. I don't know if it's a physical situation that they're gonna have to walk through. I don't know if it's a political situation that they're gonna have to walk through. I have no idea what they're gonna have to walk through, but I pray that as I walk through this, they understand and know that that daddy's God is not uh, only his God when things are working in a way that daddy wants. When daddy's healthy. When, when, when his job's going well, when things are easy. I pray that, because I know they're gonna see the peace of God when things are working against me. And so you guys, this is our moment in time. This is our opportunity to demonstrate the peace from God that supersedes circumstances, that supersedes how you feel, that supersedes what you want. And, and so right now is our opportunity to show the world that this is real. And I pray that we go after it. Amen? I pray that we go after. Because you know what happens, guys? Guess what happens? When you don't learn what you should have learned, what happens? Let's repeat it. Let's do it again. What happened four months ago? I don't know. I don't know. But I know something. If the enemy knows it can work, guess what he does? Just like he does in your life. He's seen you fall once. He's going to bring it back around. It's just going to look a little different. It's time for us to let the peace of God reign and rule in our lives. In, in the last verses here in 28 through 31, I know I should have just preached on 27. says, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So what he is, is doing here is he's first saying, you guys need to look at this from my perspective. I get to go back to the Father. Hooray. 
because I'm sick of you, <laughs> right? I get to go back and be exalted at the right hand of the Father. And so there he goes back into that place. He says, look at it from my uh, perspective. And, and, and then he talks about how um, he says, the Father is greater than I. Now, what does he mean there? Okay, let's be very careful here. He's not speaking here of his essential nature as God, but he's talking about his submissive role during his earthly ministry. Okay, so in essence and being, the Father and the Son are eternally co-equal, but in role and function, the Son submitted himself to the will of the Father while on earth. Does that make sense? And then as he had done earlier, Jesus strengthened their faith by reminding them, I love how he said this, I've told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. He's so good. He didn't have to do that. He says, this is gonna happen. So when it happens, you go, Jesus said this was gonna happen. And you can believe. I'm telling you this right now. This is gonna happen. And then he says, these words I have, well, I will not speak to you much longer. It's a reminder that he's literally hours away from going to the cross. And he sees the enemy. He talks about the ruler of this world. And we see Satan referred to as that. And we think about the world. It's talking about the evil in the world. It's talking about what is in opposition to who God is. Satan is actively working in that. And Satan uh, is coming through Judas, through the Roman soldiers, through the religious leaders. And Jesus knows that that is coming. But he says, Satan has no claim on me. He's got no claim on me. He can't, there's nothing he can use against me. In fact, the greatest tool he thinks he has is to put me to death, and that's gonna be the greatest work of victory. But you guys, I, I wanna see, I want you to just see here, Jesus, throughout this chapter, has emphasized that the essential test of love is obedience. And he shows us what it means to love through difficult obedience. Why? Because he would demonstrate his love for the Father by doing exactly as the Father commanded him. Do you understand that? Jesus went to the cross to model an obedience out of love to the Father so that you could see it so that you could look at it, and so that you could know, yeah, it's gonna be tough. Yeah, it's gonna be sacrificial. Yeah, it's not gonna be fair. Yeah, a lot of people may be sad over what you go through, but man, out of love for the Father, you walk through it obediently, and you love him, even when it's not convenient. And then he says, let's, let's get up, and we gotta go. It's time. And he closes the section with them as they're sitting down, and they get up, and I believe they start walking towards Gethsemane. But you guys, I wanna, I wanna close with these two questions. Does our love for him supersede everything else? Does my love for him supersede my goals, my job? Does it supersede my spouse? Does it supersede my kids? Does it supersede whatever hobby I have? Does my love for him supersede it? And you're like, I don't know. Where's your obedience? What's the heart of your obedience? Then the second question, are we living in 
the peace that only he can give. Are you living in that? Are you feeling that? Because you should. And the world needs to see it. Your family needs to see it. If you're a Jesus follower, I invite you into that. Amen? Let's pray.